doing something that's familiar allows you to think about it all the time. So you're internally developing that project as you go. That's the best way to start, in my opinion. Welcome to Escaping the Ordinary Podcast. If you are ready to be the best version of yourself and level up your life, stay tuned as we interview special guests who will bring you all of the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we are going to show you how with your host, Ryan T. So I want to welcome Craig Tuffin to today's episode. I was lucky enough to catch up with Craig. It's probably a month or two ago now and actually did a first tintype workshop, which if you're listening and you have no idea, you're about to be blown away. I mean, once I first met Craig, I was blown away by his knowledge and his experience. And then after leaving a one-day workshop at his property on the Gold Coast or the Tweed Coast, it felt like a door was open for me and I had sparked, I guess, uh, another level of purpose and another thing or realm in photography that really made me feel like it was when I started right from the start when I fell in love with just capturing a single image. So we're going to get into it and I've got Craig here. So I want to welcome yourself, Craig, mate. Oh, thank you, Ryan. I'm very happy to be here, mate. Absolute pleasure. I, I guess I could have kept going and made you blush, but we've got no video. So, yeah, I'm blushing. <laughs> so, for the listeners out there, Craig, can you give them a bit of background about yourself, mate? Okay. I've been a, a teacher of photography for some time. You know, it was itinerant work where I was freelancing. So, I was doing specific work for different magazines and did some work for the Gold Coast Titans, those types of things, building it in with my teaching practice. So teaching in and around for well, 28 years, <laughs> it's been a long time. And then I, I had a, an event in 2007, and this was a, a huge catalyst, in fact. I had a, a head injury. So I had a massive head injury. I wasn't supposed to live. I had three fractures to my skull and brain bleed. And the family were given the, the sad news that there's a good chance I wasn't going to make it. But I did, obviously. I'm sitting here now. But during that time when I was in hospital, and, and then, look, this isn't unusual for these types of life or death experiences, is you start to look at your residue, what your legacy is. And honestly, I, I came up short. I thought that there wasn't anything reasonable that I was leaving behind. I don't know whether that's a narcissistic act or, or whether it's just something where you're taking into an account your past, but I felt that if I had the opportunity, I'd like to leave something that was more profound. And this isn't unusual either. I, I knew of Sally Mann's work. I think it was 2003, she started working with this process called wet plate collodion, a process from 1851, which was in her uh, what Remains series of work. And it was a body of work that was representing death and I suppose life as well. And it was an incredible publication. It was an incredible body of work. And I thought, well, if I could use a process like that as my palette, then I could create some reasonable work. So I checked out of hospital after about four days, believe it or not, with this reinvigorated 
desire to change my photography and, and invest in my art practice a lot more. Um, had desperate failures for <laughs> for quite some time, but I was a, an avid note taker, so I, I recorded absolutely everything. Eventually, ended up with a a large bank of information of things that worked and things that didn't. And at that time, there are other contemporary users around the world. So there were, were sources as well as uh, 19th century manuals where you could access information on these things. And that's where the road really started for me. Since then, I've worked in a lot of other processes. I mercurial daguerreotypes or daguerreotypes, which was the first photographic process from 1839, which are quite phenomenal objects. But with all of the processes I do, a lot of my past work has been founded in in singular image objects. That means objects that have a weight and scale. They're three-dimensional things. And, you know, I always recommend to people, even if they're working digitally, is to print their work, to actually have a physical emblem, have this thing that they could hold. And it's particularly useful when producing books because you can sequence images, you can move them around, you see them as the thing. Because those objects with weight and scale also have an element of truth built into them. You know, when you see the digital image, there's an instant assumption of some form of editing. But with these things, there's no editing. The mistakes are just as evident as the successes. So it's all right there in that thing where with every other type of photography, you know, the photographs lie. That's, that's not my quote, but they do. You know, the written word associated with them really does determine context. So I started working with these things and found a really happy place within those processes and the history that's imbued with them, within them. Thanks for that, Craig. So, mate, if I go back to 2007, you said when the accident happened or that's when the kind of big shift and catalyst for yourself was. Yep. And you're working as a, a photographer then, right? Prior to that, you're saying that that was when the change happened. Was it more or less that you weren't satisfied as a creative with what you were doing and this kind of very close to death experience? You just wanted more out of the photography thing or you were saying that you wanted to leave something behind? And was it just, I mean, were you shooting digitally prior and were you just feeling like, your images were pointing nowhere or it was a process that you weren't satisfied with? Well, yes, really, to all of that. I mean, when you're working a photographic business, you have a client to satisfy. So, sure, your work is heavily influenced by your past and your desires and everything, but you've still got to meet the, the needs of the brief. In regards to that, I was still doing my own work and I was working digitally, I was working with film, but I just didn't feel like that had a really heavy narrative that I really didn't get to invest where I or what I wanted to say within that work. And I guess when you're given evidence of this potentially short life that we've got is that you start to think, well, you know what, I I do want to have a voice. I do want to stand on my soapbox and have something to say. So it really, I suppose, was a punch in the face and said, Craig, you've just got to do it. And you hear that, don't you? You hear that a lot from people as they get older or they had these types of events and the the wise ones realise it when they're young 
at some point it can be a little bit too late. And I, I wanted to beat that that timeline. And do you feel as though, say you didn't go down this this road of the ancient art form of all these processes that maybe something photographers might not have heard of before, but let's just say you didn't go down that road. Do you feel like you would still be satisfied with the work that you'd be producing or do you feel as though that this has just given you a new lease on photography and a more of a personal, I guess, outlet to it? That's a hard thing to judge is what the direction would have been without this. All of my experiences have sort of brought me to this environment that I work in now, so that's all I can really give testament to. But I'm completely satisfied and unsatisfied now. You know, people have got to realise that no matter how someone's working, there are failures that are built within that work. And those failures end up being just as important as the successes because it drives you in a particular direction. Whether you let those things inhibit you or you use them as motivation. So I'm very happy with you know this, this environment that I get to work in now and, and the people that I get to work with would have been without that event. I don't know. I have no idea. So with your work now then, Craig, is it, you know, split between commission work and personal projects or are you working solely on commissions only? And prior to also what you're doing now, were you also doing personal work? Because I remember when we first caught up, it was something kind of irrelevant to my process was having my own personal projects. But I see a lot of your work and always question whether it is personal or commission-based. Well, it's all of those things. So Mm -hmm. I work on commissions. I also have my own personal work that I'm involved in and really invested in. And then I also run workshops. So I only do one-to-one workshops because I, I feel that that's an environment where the person that's separating themselves from their coin really wants their needs met. And I, I feel like I can only really do that with a one-to-one environment where I'm specifically directed towards the needs of that single person. So, you know, my time's divided by between all of those things. This COVID-19 situation that we're in that we're in at the moment has, has changed everything for everyone and and particularly for creatives so that gives me a safe working environment for people but it also gives me an opportunity and time to work on my own things you know I, I never have I never have one project going at a time there's always more than one I think I mentioned this to you when we caught up that time is you know there's nothing worse than that feeling when you finish a body of work and you think that because so much time has been invested in that, you've finessed the idea, you've really tried to direct the narrative, but sometimes it directs itself and you come to the end where you feel like, you know what, I think that's the exclamation point at the end of this. And then you think, I wonder if I'll actually do anything worthwhile ever again. So (laughs) I don't give myself an opportunity to to have that, that, that feeling and work on multiple bodies of work at the same time because, you know, you are motivated in particular directions at particular times because you've got circumstances that allow you to do particular work. So I'll often have three bodies of work going alongside of each other. So Craig, when you come up with your personal projects, one thing I always find interesting is do you map it out? I remember doing a a Magnum online learning, Alex Sloth, and um, he always said he'd map it out first where he wanted the personal project to kind of end up. Was it in a book? Was it 
an exhibition, like for your personal work, do you fully map it out? Give yourself a time frame. give yourself constraints. How do you go about that? Yeah, I do map it out. I always keep a notebook with me. You know, I like writing things down. So ideas and different things, I'm always jotting down in my notebook. But then it, it comes time, it's easy to jump into something and you haven't finessed the idea. The most, the single most important thing about, you know, a creative body of work is the idea. I mean, these things that we're using, these, these cameras, and that's just the tool that sees the realisation of the idea. But the idea has to have some foundation. So I, I get to work on developing that idea. What do I want to say? How does it sequence? And then I'll start. And anywhere along the way, the circumstances can lead you to, to change that idea very slightly. It helps to reevaluate and, and keep things moving in a particular direction. But sometimes when you get the end point, it's not the end point that you initially imagine. You've got to be able to allow yourself to, to move in those directions and, and let it speak its own language. And sometimes that can be a very, very good thing. Sometimes it can mean you're working for some time on something that you eventually go, you know what? I'm just going to shelf that. I don't think it's in a place where I can, you know, exhibit this work or produce a book or just needs to sit a little while longer. And I might revisit it in a couple of years or not revisit it at all. So every body of work has its own legs and you've got to go in there with a strong idea to begin with, but then you've got to let it direct itself in certain times along the way. Be prepared to be informed. And then also, Craig, just staying on personal work, mate, for the photographer out there that's listening, I mean, we're talking about some forms of photography that others may not have heard of and the way you're working, which we'll get into soon. But I mean, obviously personal work can be anything. I mean, it doesn't have to be on film or whatever. It can be digital. What are the benefits for that working photographer? Say they're a wedding photographer like myself and they really haven't ever taken up a personal project at all. Can you bat off some benefits for them if they go ahead down that route? As a wedding photographer, and I know several, it's very difficult when you're working so hard in this particular business to find the time when you're you're balancing family life and you're balancing your work and you're doing all your own post work and to then find the time to then invest into your own work. But I always recommend to do it because what it ends up doing is as you learn and you develop ideas, you find those things finding their way into your, you know, your wedding work. So it's a really healthy thing for two reasons. Like I just said, it helps you to develop your own, your own style and your, your own way of working. But it also gives you this sense of satisfaction that you've had the opportunity to develop this voice yourself. It doesn't matter if anyone ever sees that work at all, but it does give you an opportunity to to say something and to express yourself. I mean, we're all creatives that are working within this environment, but sometimes I think that it's suppressed because we've got to put food on the table and we've got these crazy hours of working within this environment and all the post work and everything else that we do. Yeah. I mean, I've only ever started a single personal project, which was, I think I had explained to you, Craig, which was, I was going to call it the widow project, which was photographing my mom 
after the loss of my father. And I kind of mapped it out and came up with this thing that was very personal to me. I wasn't going to share the images. It was something I thought, well, you know, this, this can get me out of that, that routine of, you know, how many thousand wedding photos we're taking every Saturday and not considering a lot when you're taking photographs. Anyway, I went in uh, and did uh, the first little bit and photographed some unique elements that weren't, I guess, the standard narrative of what you'd consider a widow, but they meant a lot to me. And I finished it and got the uh, finished files back and I was like, that's it. I don't feel the need to keep this going. I felt like that was such a, a one-time personal thing that can just stay here. And it can just live on the shelf for me because I think it was uh, a very personal thing to obviously do. You know what I mean? But how would you explain to the photographer out there listening? How could they find a subject or a story or a project to work on? Like, is it looking around the streets and just picking something or is it trying to work out what they value? How would you go about that? Well, the first thing I always recommend is photograph what's familiar. A lot of people feel like they've got to do something phenomenal they've got to go somewhere incredible or they've got to be in this ridiculous environment for reasonable work to be done well that's not true at all you know sometimes these banal situations that we find ourselves in every day can produce extremely powerful work just back to sally i mean i think her most renowned work is her immediate family work and that's her immediate family She's lives in Virginia, she's got this property and, and she was photographing her children as they were growing up and then later on her husband as he's sick. So I always recommend don't try to find something incredible that's outside your capacity to produce it. Work on something internal. Look at something that is around you every day and try to develop that. And then all of a sudden you start on something. And because remember, you've got to you've got to keep in mind that when you're invested in something, then you remain creative. You remain thinking about that thing. And when we're distracted from it quite often because we're forced to go somewhere to do it, then it's not as easy to maintain that flow. So Doing something that's familiar allows you to think about it all the time. So you're internally developing that project as you go. That's the best way to start, in my opinion. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I mean, you're simplifying it right there. A lot of us are are looking so far away and and looking at other people's work where it's like, I remember first time I had heard of Sally Mann was after chatting with yourself after coffee and yeah, I bought all her books, read all her books. And it was like, man, it's right in front of me. Like I have my family here. Exactly. I mean, it's the thing that I value the most in life. And it's like, what I haven't been doing is photographing that. And I mean, it doesn't, like you said, it, I mean, it doesn't have to be a personal project. I mean, I could just be photographing with the thought process of capturing these moments in life and who knows where all that goes, right? But can I take you right back, Craig, mate? Like, can you explain to the listener out there the different types of the medium that you use today? Okay. Okay. Well, First of all, photography is the only art form that we can lock in a birthday. An art form with a birthday is a pretty phenomenal thing. So in 1939, Louis Daguerre, well, <laughs> Arago in, in France, announced Louis Daguerre's process that he, that he worked in partnership with Nieps, this process of the daguerreotype. So that's one particular process that I use, which is a silvered copper or brass plate 
Um, it's highly polished and then it's fumed with different chemicals to make it light sensitive and exposed in camera and then it's developed with heated mercury fumes and, and then it's gilded with a gold, a gold solution. Those objects, you know, I think I've said this before to you, that there's nothing like them. The phrase was coined a mirror with a memory because that's exactly what it is. But what's quite unusual about these things is that they are very dependent on the light source at any place that they're being shown. So they are continually changing object. I can look at it here and it will look at, you know, I'll move it around, it'll, it'll flick from a negative to a positive and then I'll go into a different environment, into an institution and I'll look at them there and they're a very different thing. So, you know, I love those objects just because they potentially always changing. The blacks in those things are the absence of information. So it's this reflected light, this reflected image. And while you're reviewing those things, because it's so reflective, you then as the audience become a part of the work. You can catch your own reflection within it. So from a philosophical point of view, they're quite phenomenal things. Then I, I also work in process wet plate collodion, which, like I said before, was in 1851. So there was a development of process. I won't, I won't go through the whole history because it could just take too much time. But these were on glass plates originally and negatives. And then in 1854, there were positives on, on glass, which was the amber type. And 1855 was the tin type. So these are processes that are becoming a lot more popular now. I'm finding more and more people want to workshop with these, but there is a, a dedicated following around the world because of, well, I like to say that they're 19th century Polaroid. There's this immediacy to them. You've got a window of sensitisation. So you've got, you've got to sensitise the plate, you've got to expose it, you've got to develop it, and you've got to fix the image while the plate's still wet. So there's something quite unique in the process because it has this window. It's not the decisive moment. It's this decisive passage of time. It's, but again, they're objects that hold evidence of everything that happened during that whole time period that you made them. I also work with film. You know, film came substantially later. And I also work digitally as well. I know it sounds quite ironic that I say this, but a lot of people get hung up in, in the process, in the craft. And, yeah, the craft is, is essential to the narrative because, you know, I'm talking about these objects. But at the same time, if you're just invested in craft and you're not concerned about what you're trying to say with that craft, you know, the idea that I said before was the most important part, then you get distracted very easily. And you could direct that towards camera gear and people that are, are just trying to find this flipping black box that we're using really is just the brush and the palette is just these tools that we apply with this brush. So I think people need to become a little bit less concerned with that, find the best palette and brush and then just work within that. Do your 10,000 hours, get experience, learn how to use it well so that you can translate that narrative you know, significantly to your audience. So then, Craig, just jumping in there, mate, with the working photographer that has no experience with any of these types of mediums, yep. do you feel as though it would be good for them to at least learn or get an understanding of it or at least do like I did, like a day hands-on with it? So then you have that in your arsenal to say, hey, for this personal project or 
this commission shoot or whatever it may be, this is going to be the best tool for that. Absolutely. I think it's great. As you know, it makes you think a little bit more about what your photography is about. It makes you think about light. It's all about light. It makes you think about these circumstances. How are you working with this? Because, you know, we're not firing off 100 shots to pick our hero. We're actually working just on one. So what do we do with that one? How do we improve the chances for success? And within that, to what you're trying to say. So I think it's really healthy for people to investigate these types of things. And they might never do it again, but it informs the rest of their work from then on as well. So, yeah, I think it's a great thing to do. I remember just going back to the workshop that I did with yourself, Craig. I remember after I got home with my uh, my tintypes that we we produced on that day, I remember sitting on the stairs and I was actually telling a photographer friend of mine the other day, I was just staring at the still life and I just started crying and I had this overwhelming sense of I did this with my own hands. I've never made anything with my own hands before. Yeah. And then I, I felt like I was back in the army and I had I was a machine gunner for as an analogy wise with my digital camera working and just spraying and still trying to tell the story but I was you know we're under so much pressure at weddings and it's like boom 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 and then I spent 8 hours together or whatever it was and I was like the sniper and I was considerate of what I was taking a photograph of why I was how I was doing it and I had a single shot I don't know I just keep going back to that analogy of you know the machine gunner versus sniper and who's who's more aware of their surroundings or who's considering taking that shot before they they click that shutter or whatever it is honestly for all the listeners out there i mean if this is all going over your head i mean craig like i said at the introduction mate you are an incredible human the the knowledge that you've educated yourself with and unfortunately from this 2007 or something incident but it seems as though it's pursued you or push you along this kind of new trajectory and teaching young guns like us all these new types and re-sparking the the purpose of why we all became photographers so right now then craig so if i ask you who influenced you to go down this path i mean we spoke about sally mann but was she the catalyst and the, the major influence for you to get into this kind of medium? No, no, she was one. There's a really great facility down in Victoria, um, Gold Street Studios. I run workshops down there as well. And Ellie is just a phenomenal person. So, you know, anyone in Victoria that's listening to this and obviously can't travel, there is access to a facility where you can learn a num- number of different processes. But I think it's an accumulation of different things that sort of worked into my own psyche so that I, I started to develop these things. And remember, there's no there's no point where that learning stops. Along the way, there's so many different directions that I want to go because I, I had this deep desire. I want, you know, I think this is the best way for an audience to see this. And there's failure that goes along with that sometimes, but then there's also an opportunity to do something that perhaps hasn't been done before. What you were saying before as well, and I hope I'm not filling this talk with too much jargon, is what that experience that you had when you're on the stairs where you're looking at this object is is extremely valuable. And, and that's why I'm recommending people to print these things because, you know, photographs are cheap and they're ubiquitous now. 
we're making more of them than ever before. And with the benefit of social media, where it's sort of a three to five second, what is it, swipe left, and people are just dismissing these valuable moments, what it does is it forces you into an environment where you actually consider this thing. And I think that's really important. Oscar Wilde once wrote, you know, the duty we owe to history is to rewrite it. So it's ironic now that we're actually using history to create history. Now, we were talking about your son before, you know, in 20 years, if you've looked after that tintype that you made and the potential to make more, then there is something that I guarantee you that will still be around that then value is attributed to by not just you, but by your family. And that's the beautiful thing about institutional collections and having your work get into those institutional collections is, is that, you know, that stands outside of your own timeline and it, it gives an opportunity for other people to see that work and to see what you had to say. I think that's a really, really powerful place to be able to work from. And we're really working with something that's quite surreal. I was talking about Sally before, you know, and she wrote in on photography, what could be more surreal than an object that virtually produces itself. And that's exactly what a photograph is. But when we're making these, these fantastical objects, these things that stand alone on a wall that people can, can see, I think that we reach a place where we've left our mark. We were able to step back and say, yeah, well, that was a good thing. So in regards to influences, sorry, I went off track there, there's been many along the way from friends and family and, and people that I've met along the way. Jerry Spagnoli in New York is a very dear friend. He was a huge catalyst for my investigation into daguerreotypy. And um, everything that we're doing right now is an accumulation of experiences. And there's, there's so many things that have sort of driven me down this path along with my own intensity to try to find the answer. <laughs> No, I love it, Craig. I appreciate that. I know, I mean, influences, there's many in everyone's life. So just staying on that, and we spoke about getting the physical product, right? Like, so say someone has no experience with this medium. They, they've never shot film before. They were shooting digital. Do you feel as though, like, let's say they go and do a personal project and they, they take photographs of their mother or something on digital and they're a working wedding photographer or portrait photographer, that's a full-timer who's taken many photographs before, you print one of those images. Mm-hmm. Did they really make it? Do you know, like, I'm trying to get to the point where even if it's a wedding, right, there's, you know, 3,000 photographs or whatever we take at a wedding and you print one and it was in the heat of the moment. A lot of the times photographers aren't even considering the process. We're just, we are involved so much in it. And then you print one. Because when what I'm trying to get at, Craig, I mean, going around and around, I felt like I made one and photograph. I felt like I made this thing. Yep. Whereas at a wedding, I feel like I took this thing. And I felt like the difference being is that it was only my mindset that was different. Obviously, we both produced an image in the end of the day, both digitally and a wet type. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was a question there, but... I just feel when I when I personally print my digital work or anything like that, I love the image, but I don't feel like I have a connection to it. Yeah, well, you're working with people, aren't you, within weddings? And, you know, I'm not dismissing this role that you're doing. It's, it's phenomenally important because these people are dependent on you to, you know, have these memories of a very important time in their life. 
but you're working with clients that you don't necessarily know well and you're working to a brief where you want them to be satisfied with what you're saying within there. You have your meetings beforehand and you go through that whole pro forma. So I think they're very, very different things. When you're doing the craft of a wet plate or whatever you're doing after on a personal project, you are intimately relating to this idea that you have. You're really working towards someone else's idea or this, this performance that you're doing when you're working as a wedding photographer is to meet the needs of the client. That's the first and the most important thing to do. Sure, they're employing you because they've maybe seen your work before and they can see the way that you work and the images that you produce. But I think that they're different things. If you were photographing your own wedding or your child's wedding, that's imbued with emotion, a lot more emotion than if it was someone else's wedding. So I think that they are very, very different things. And it's okay for that to be that way because you're working commercially as opposed to a personal project. And that is when you are doing your work and you're completely satisfied with that, it makes no difference whether someone else sees that as successful or worthwhile or not. You know, when you are working on a personal project and you you shoot it digitally or you make a tintype or whatever the process, it really doesn't matter. As long as you're satisfied with that, it doesn't matter if nobody else cares. You know, I had that nobody cares philosophy <laughs> where I think that if we are so in this social media driven world, so dependent on the caring and the nature of other people's opinions to make our own personal work worthwhile, I think we're missing the point. Mm. I think our work then becomes insipid because we are then producing work personally to satisfy others. Really strong work that I've seen from people is sometimes very difficult to understand, but it's incredible because you can see how much of themselves they've invested into it and how they've experimented. So the craft and what you did to produce that image that you sat on and you considered and you, you spoke to your friend about, it just simply gave you the opportunity, it gave you the tools to do something where you saw the realisation of that idea. Strong. Yeah, two different things. And and I think also just going off that, Craig, I mean, as you're talking then, um, the beautiful words then, but most people listening, Craig, are probably working photographers or starting in photography. Some may have a bit of experience in film, but not really in the medium that we have been talking about. So you said that you offer one-on-one workshops and is that all at your Gold Coast HQ? It is, but like I was saying before as well, I, um, I run workshops down at Gold Street Studios as well. I run my masterclasses down there in Victoria and up to quite recently I was doing a lot of workshops in China. So I do travel. I've run workshops for the Museum of Brisbane and so I do run workshops in other places in Australia and around the world. I run workshops and um, lecture down at uh, the Australian National University in, in Canberra. So I do travel. But all that, you know, that travelling's gone on hold for the time being and until this other, you know, drama or this terrible disease is sorted out and, and the uh, consequences of it. I'll just step back very quickly too, Ryan, to what you were saying before about wedding photography and photographers and yeah, of course. working with the client and you're producing an emotional moment, you have this disconnect. 
your role with that, though, is that they see the image and they have the connection. You know, you're producing work where that same relationship you had with the photograph that you made or you when you photograph your son or your mother or whatever is you're trying to create an environment, an image, where they have that same connection. So they're different things. But if you've done your job well, they'll flick through those photographs you've taken and they'll go, wow, yeah, that is us. That is beautiful. That is an incredible moment, even though you don't necessarily have that direct emotional connection. You've done your job well. Yeah. No, I, I do agree. I, I may have uh, misworded it, but I, I exactly what I meant there. I mean, I love my son, so I see a photograph of my son. Anyone produces that, that's pretty special for myself, vice versa for any wedding couples and stuff like that. Sure. Craig, mate, I want to ask you a couple of questions here and I don't want to stay on the, the camera system thing, but a couple of last quick questions. What type of camera systems are you using today? So people have heard about the wet type, tin type photography, but what camera systems are you using to produce these? Okay. Well, I like to use the medium that best meets the message, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, certain bodies of work I will use, I will shoot on 35 mil and then I'll really enlarge them in the darkroom so that you're seeing this very dense grain. Um, I'll shoot medium formats. I'll shoot digitally. So, you know, the current colour work that I'm doing digitally, I'm using a Fuji GFX100 because it gives me the colour and the file size that I need to print these things at, you know, one and a half metres. I shoot 35 mil on my Leica. I'll shoot medium format on a Pentax 6.7. I've got a Hasselblad super wide that's easy to carry around. And then, of course, I'm shooting large format. So from four by five cameras all the way through to a 20 by 24 inch camera. So that's a big puppy. And then my my van converts into a camera as well. So <laughs> the massive camera obscura where I, you know, shoot these 36, 38 inch plates inside my camera bellows basically so depending on the work yeah because remember different sizes do different things Mm -hmm. as well so when you make this work a small image or a small daguerreotype in a case is a very you have a very personal relationship when you're looking at those things you open the case and it's you and it's this this image object but when something's printed very large well, that's a completely different narrative. That's a completely different relationship for the audience because now you're stepping back from the object. You're looking at it with you know, usually small groups of people. And so I think that not just the medium itself, but the size of the final product has a really influential place within these, this circumstance that the, the audience has with the work. So whether it's personal or whether it's, you know, institutional or whatever. Mm. So yeah, the best camera or the best tool for the job. Yep. No, I love that. So if we could finish off, Craig, mate, what would you say if I asked you, could you share three things photographers can do now to up their game or up their skill or or knowledge? What would three things that come to mind be? Okay. Number one is I think what I mentioned right back at the start is develop the idea. Find what's really important that you want to say and and, you know people do this in an innate sense they do it unconsciously sometimes great photographers and great wedding photographers have this system that they've built or this way of seeing that sort of is imbued 
within all of the work that they do. But sometimes it takes a little bit of sitting down and, and thinking. Always recommend to look at other work. Look at some of the phenomenal people that have worked within this medium for so long. Look at Irving Penn. Look at Sally stuff or, or look at Gustave Legray or look all of this work and, and see how they lit it. Why does it translate so well? Why does their idea work so succinctly? It's a matter of then developing your own process through that investigation. Oh, they've lit it this way. It's, it's natural light. Or no, they've done it this way. You know, that's really strong. I'm, I'm going to practice with that. So that's another thing, you know, is to develop your practice. Work hard. I mentioned 10,000 hours for a skill and people often are frustrated nowadays when they don't have the skill in a week, a month, a year. We're always learning. Allow yourself time to improve and develop and change and do all those things. I think finesse the ideas. Work out what your ideas are first. Photograph what's familiar. Do something that's around you all the time and need not be something that anyone ever sees. And be prepared to fail. In fact, work so hard that you fail often so that you are pushing yourself to do something quite phenomenal. If we stay too safe, nothing changes. And research, look at other people's work, see how they've done it and think about whether that would speak within your own work. Wow. (laughs) Mate, I could sit back. I'm going to be listening to that, I think, as my alarm every morning. (laughs) Mate, what a way to finish it. Oh, wow. I'm gobsmacked with that last bit. You're definitely a great educator, Craig. And um, man, that's incredible. I'll obviously link out to your Instagram and, and stuff like that. So the listeners can find out more. And if they're interested in doing a workshop, where's the best place for them to hit you up, Craig? They can hit me up on Instagram. Isn't it a funny thing? I get better at that. I really do. But they could send me a message there. They can send me an email on craig.tuffin at gmail.com and make contact that way as well. My website's down at the moment while it's being redeveloped. So unfortunately, they can't get me through there. But um, make contact and I will always answer. Yeah. I'm happy to help wherever I can. You're incredible, Craig, mate. And um, yeah, I'm so, so grateful that I even had the chance to meet you in person. And then after that workshop, mate, I I have a new lease. It, it doesn't even just feel like in photography. It's just, I feel like I've got this new hobby and this new passion and this thing I have no idea about, but I want to learn more and more and more. And I'm so, so grateful that you're actually on the Gold Coast. Otherwise, I'll be flying to Melbourne probably every Saturday <laughs> or hounding you. So yeah, I appreciate your time, mate. And I know you have a uh, new addition to your beautiful family. So I'll let you get back to it. But Craig, mate, that last 10 minutes there is going to be my my 4 a.m. alarm, I reckon, every single morning. Well, thank you, Ryan. I really do. I feel very humbled that you've had me on the show. So thanks very much, mate. And I'm sure we'll be having lots of these chats in the future. We're so glad you have taken the time to tune in. If you found this episode useful, why not share it with a friend and be the light someone may need. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This would mean so much to us. Ryan would love to connect with you beyond this episode. The links to everything and anything that was spoken about are in the show notes at www.escapingtheordinarypodcast.com. Talk to you next week.